Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi has changed many people's lives, from the Beatles to Ram Das to my next guest, Harry. After hearing the Yogi's teachings at a sold-out stadium, 16-year-old Harry took his already big, compassionate heart and began his journey to become a teacher of transcendental meditation. Harry's taught TM to many, many people, including yours truly. With the help of the David Lynch Foundation, Harry's dedicated his life to healing people affected by years of abuse or suffering from anxiety, and he's especially dedicated to healing soldiers crippled by PTSD, focusing on working with them towards post-traumatic growth. You will hear what life was like growing up in Queens in the 1960s, as well as life in New York City during the COVID-19 pandemic. My hope with this episode, along with introducing you to a wonderful man who's truly changed my life, is to share how important meditation has been for me. And for those of you not on this journey yet, I hope you will find the desire to pursue this goal of peace of mind and awareness of one's actions. I truly believe it will change your life for the better, which will help change our world. Hope you enjoy this episode. And so it begins. Thank you very much, Harry. I appreciate this very much. No problem. So... You and I met at the David Lynch Institute. Uh, yes, at the yeah. foundation in New York. Yes. New York, yeah. How long have you been working there? Uh, two years now. Oh, two years? Oh, so yeah, you're a newbie. You were a newbie when we had you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I just had started working there probably a couple of years ago. And uh, so in the interim, you know, we've gone through a lot of changes right. because of pandemic and all that. But right. prior to that, I was given the assignment to go and uh, teach TM in a retreat setting once a month for a week long retreat, mm-hmm. and it's called Warrior Path. Oh, for it's, the veterans? Yes. Okay. And uh, it's a real transformative, uh, it's an alternative uh, training um, uh, to heal the, heal the heroes. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they they basically have a whole set of modules that are both educational, reflective, disclosing, and allow people to kind of uh, take their old story and turn it into a new story. Mm-hmm. And TM is considered the cornerstone regulation practice on that retreat. So what I do is I come and I'm there for a week teaching the veterans TM. Wow. You're teaching in Maine, correct? <laughs> In Maine, yeah. Um, it's at the uh, Travis Mills Foundation. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you know about Travis Mills. He's a quadruple... Uh, quadruple amputee? Wow. That started a, uh, a, a retreat um, facility in Maine for veterans, and one of the programs they have there is Warrior Path. Mm. Wow. Um, I'm fascinated yeah, by sorry. people who are quadriplegics, paraplegics, uh, people who are immobile, and people are missing limbs. Um, yeah. Because I'm, I, I know myself. If I'm not able to move, I go, I go a bit nutty. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, for someone to start a foundation and think of others says a lot about this person, uh, and yeah. not think about his restrictions. He thinks about what he can do for for the world, and, and on yeah. a major level. That's fantastic. Have you met this exactly. guy? Not in person. I've I've seen he's got a a very uh, definite presence on the internet. Uh, if you look him up, uh, Travis Mills, 
he does a lot of lecturing and he talks about his experience. And he basically, you know, he was at a point where, you know, he was uh, asked by a quadriplegic, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> and uh, he, he took that as an um, inspiration to do anything but be part of the club. Right. So he, he actually, you know, brought, he brought, him, brought himself to an, a meaning for why all this happened to him mm-hmm. and what he could do from this point on. So it's a very, it's a very compelling story. Anyhow, he, he formed this foundation, bought this property mm-hmm. in Maine, which used to be the spa and uh, retreat center for Elizabeth Arden. Okay. So it was a big cosmetic, you know, pioneer cosmetic yeah. uh, person and uh, turned it into this retreat for veterans. That's wow. just an amazing facility. Wow. I mean, it has everything there, like a, ca- a cafeteria. It has, you know, yeah, like- oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, and it's also very um, friendly toward uh, uh, paraplegics and quadriplegics as well. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, very accessible. Okay. You know, as, as ADA uh, accessibility. But it's, it's actually something uh, to behold because there are facilities all over the country that are doing retreats for veterans. A lot of them happen to be kind of like um, uh, expeditionary learning or like fishing or hunting or so, something that, in that direction. But there's a very small portion of these, these retreats that are there for transforming, you know, the struggle that the veterans will normally go through to strength and, you know, more of a tra- retraining type of program. Right. So this is one of those rare things you look up warrior path mm-hmm. and uh they have uh, uh they've had running now a facility in um arizona and in um virginia for about five or six years mm-hmm. they were testing out the the model that they had and then they got a uh, 200 million dollar grant to roll out eight more sites mm-hmm. so i've been on the first three sites as a teacher of tm and they're, it's an amazing thing. We partner with existing uh, veteran support organizations and they provide their curriculum to these uh, people and they train them. Mm-hmm. And anyone who takes the retreat does not pay for it. It's free. Totally free. Wow. Travel as well. Wow. Holy cow. And is there anything you, 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 you have to present a DD-214 yes. or? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But like you could go to this retreat and you would you would come away a week later, a different person, for sure. Wow, I'm almost tempted to go. <laughs> yeah, no, you should. You should. Yeah. Where where are you these days? Uh, upstate New York, near Hudson. Oh, so this is not a big reach for you to go to Maine. No, not at all. Just uh, right now, finances are are not in the cards. But if I can swing yeah. it, I, I definitely will go for sure. Do you know when the next yeah. one's going to happen? Yeah, the next one is in October. Yeah. Oh, it's soon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they have them every month. Oh, they do. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about. I would say apply, mm-hmm. and then they have your application. They'll interview you over the phone, mm-hmm. and you know the dates come. You know that's good for you. You could go away for a week. You won't have to pay anything out of pocket. Wow. Okay, that's good. I mean, food's taken care of. Everything's taken care of. Yeah, everything's taken care of. Wow. Wow. Accommodation, wow. all that. You know? I am. I'm. You know, this when I got out of the military, it was it, there was not things like this. There was not 
foundations like this whatsoever, which made my adjusting to civilian life that much harder. Definitely the most, most, uh, most stressful thing in my life is to be a civilian again. It's just, it's a different mindset. It's a different, it's a different understanding. Like in the military, you learn to get along with people you don't like. In the civilian yeah. world, that's not the case. It's a yeah. vast, vastly different things. What, what have been the results of these retreats? What, what have, there's been feedback or? Yeah, yeah. A, it, what it is is basically, you know, what we come to understand now is what happens to uh, veterans who come, who are not in service anymore, that come back into civilian life. It's not, what they're going through, it's not what's wrong with them. It's what happened to them. Right, right. So, so your training in the military had a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so long mm -hmm. as you were downrange, it was useful and applicable. But you were never retrained <laughs> to use the skill sets to live in a civilian world. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then plus, you know, we know for a fact that most military service is voluntary. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And truth of the matter is many people come from traumatic childhood experiences into the military. You know, whatever it is that they are escaping from and the military is a, is a haven for them, that those traumas don't get necessarily dealt with until they finish their service. Mm -hmm. And now they have the trauma of service on top right. of it, plus, as you know, the trauma of transition. Right. And so you have this, like, stew of trauma when you mm -hmm. come back, and it's really tragic that there isn't a reboot camp for you and for every military person mm -hmm. as there is a boot camp, you know? Right. Right. So what we're doing with these retreats and with TM for sure is giving you some practice that can, uh, you know, repurpose from inside out right. your, your life. Yeah. Wow. Well, what have been the, uh, what have been the, the studies uh, on trauma? What, what, have the, what, have they sh what have they shown how much trauma can cause harm to the psyche and the body and everything? Do, do, are you familiar with uh, the studies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we know that anything that you've been through traumatically that isn't processed, pro you know, well, right, is going to affect your, your neurophysiology. Uh, so your, that means your mind and your body are going to be affected and your behavior as well. So commonly, you know, people are coming out of the military very hair-triggered, you know, reactive to everything that happens. You know, there's all this, like, uh, hypervigilance that's going on. And all of that training that you went through that was useful in the military needs to be re... Uh, there needs to be a retraining of it. And so sleep gets improved as a result mm -hmm. of, of uh, processing that. And also... Uh, less depression, mm -hmm. less anxiety. I mean, these are qualities that we see with, with TM, but when you add in um, an educational program that gives people an understanding of where they came from to where they're going, it really accelerates that transformation. Now, are you familiar with the um, Hanoi Hilton? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, what it turns out is that one of the interesting studies is that people who were in uh, uh, captivity for longer periods of time were more well-adjusted than people who were in shorter periods of time. Mm. Yeah. Somehow, it, the adversity that you go through is not necessarily a handicap to your growth. 
if it's yeah. used properly. Right. So wow. this is the thing that your your mind and your body have within themselves the capacity to transform uh, even adverse experiences into something that is actually an impetus to grow. Yeah. So what we're looking at is instead of looking at post-traumatic stress, we're looking at post-traumatic growth. Mm. Wow. So this That's love, amazing. This is, this is the new uh, area that we're looking at because it's not just a question of being more resilient. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not a progressive uh, approach. To be more resilient to things means that you'll you'll just suck it up. Right. What, what we're really looking at is how you can transform what you're struggling through to strength. Mm. Amazing. So there's a lot of research now that that shows that you know what you do regulation wise, what you do to um, repurpose what your daily routine is like. Be more regular, have some good nutrition, uh, hydrate yourself, get mm -hmm. uh, enough rest, you know, breathe properly. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's a whole lot of things there that, that are covered in this retreat. But you know, all this information has now scientifically been verified, you know. Right, right. And how long has this uh, been, information been accessed? Uh, is this something the, uh, the foundation has done its research before it opened, or how, what was the yeah. birth of the, of the, of the yeah. David Lynch Foundation? So, so, the, so the Boulder Crest Institute was a facility that was for veterans, and what they did is that for many years they hosted different therapeutic uh, modalities that were not necessarily clinical, you know, uh, equine therapy for one, you know, mm -hmm. different kinds of uh, modalities that they did. And out of all of these people that they hosted, at their facility in uh, Virginia, what they did is they, they put together a series of modules that were basically taking people from, you know, first day to seventh day to be like transforming themselves from inside out. Mm. They, they honed this um, curriculum with funding, and then they went to a very large foundation, got, you know, this $200 million dollars, to roll out eight more sites. Mm -hmm. So they're really the pioneers of using post-traumatic growth in a transformative way to, to bring veterans into a, rather than just being, you know, accepting the diminished version of yourself mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of therapy will tell you, well, your normal is different now, right? Mm -hmm. What post-traumatic growth says is no, you can thrive. You don't have to live with a diminished version of yourself. Right. But this is not necessarily uh, adhered to by all uh, clinical uh, therapy. You know, it's sort of a new uh, area, but yeah. there's a lot of people understanding that somehow innate inside of us, yeah. we have the capacity to transform if we tap into it. Right. You know, you remember... I often will tell people it's like being born with a million dollars in the bank, but forgetting the account number. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Yeah. So there is this resource that lies at the least excited state of our own thinking. And it's also, if we have the right education, we have the right uh, training, we have the right curriculum, we can actually learn to find meaning in what happened to us. Yeah. 
so that so that we're not you know just some kind of uh, casualty you mm -hmm. know we we've taken whatever life experience was and uh, been able to grow from it you know right so it's it's funny that you said that about uh, um, vets have a traumatic experience before they go into the military and I would say like ninety percent including myself of the yeah. vets that I went to basic training with and did training with, uh, you know, further on in airborne school and stuff, we all came from really, really shitty homes. And it was, it was, uh, my experience home was worse than what I experienced in, in the military. Um, yeah. So my thing is like the being that there's, a, I didn't have a choice except to go in the army. I didn't, I mean, I kind of wanted to go in, but my grades are so bad. I worked quite a bit, you know, I, I was, I was, getting like four to five hours sleep at home because I just had to work and support my help support my, my parents. Um, it was, it was a real struggle. It was, and then for me, I'll never forget that I went, when I went to basic training and first day there and I got six hours sleep, I couldn't believe it. You know, for me, like basic training was vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And um, so my concern is like, there are some kids who can't join the military because of physical reasons or they're heavy, whatever. Is there a place that the David Lynch Foundation is trying to create for kids who are traumatic and, and want to teach them TM? Well, you know, there, there are a couple of different angles that the David Lynch Foundation is looking at. One is veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is women, children who are suffering from domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, a very important area. Uh, we have some funding from the uh, Family Justice Center in New York to, to teach people were, you know, victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And then the other area is uh, middle school students. Mm -hmm. So you know, the whole thing is, is that if we get, um, uh, there's a, there's a, I'm trying to remember the quote. Um, there's a quote about, um, I'll find this quote, but what we're doing is preventatively trying to deal with the underserved populations uh, prior to, you know, uh, everything going down, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So in bringing this program to young people early in life, and, you know, there's a thing called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so how your childhood is, is a predictor of how you will be as an adult. Yeah, true, true. You know? That's so, the foundation of so, your life. It's what you build on. Yeah. So if we can do something to transform, make... Uh, you know, life-saving technology available to people early on, then we're avoiding the danger before it comes. Wow. That's so good. That's so, I mean, I'm so, I, I, get, I just get chills when I think about people who think that far down the road and, and think about yeah. the greater picture of, of, of things. I mean, you know, I was really impressed with how you taught. And one thing that impresses me about you is that you have a great passion for veterans. And how come? Is it, is, you know somebody that was a veteran or? Well, you know, honestly, you know, I'm a child of the 60s and I was really not really too uh, wild about the military early on in, in my childhood, for sure. But as I grew older, it turned out that my peers, you know, um, I'm like, you know, the people I meet who went to Vietnam were my peer group. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my number was high enough that I didn't get uh, drafted to go to to the into the military. Right. So yes. what I'm coming up with in my life as I'm growing is I'm meeting people 
for my age group who acted, actually had to serve. So mm -hmm. I have like a, a sympathy about them because I, they're my peer group in a way. Right. What I understand is that their experience was drastically different from mine. Mm. And I've had to, by just, uh, I guess it's empathy, become culturally co competent to understand what they're about. Mm -hmm. So that, I guess that's just who I am. I'm very interested in people. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm learning a lot as I go along. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, education out there that is available for people who don't know military uh, life, but they can become more educated about it. You know, I don't know if you've heard of the uh, Psych Armor Institute. No. This is a uh, initiative out of the um, University of Syracuse, mm -hmm. and they actually have curriculum online and in person that allows people to become more culturally competent about military uh, culture. Mm -hmm. so unless you know something about the military, how can you relate, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what I've grown into because of just by proximity. I mean, I'm the site director at the Brooklyn VA. Mm -hmm. So I teach TM there. Right now it's kind of suspended because of, the, of COVID, but uh, that was a good uh, uh, learning grounds for me to understand what veterans are going through. Um, and then these retreats have also been a real eye-opener, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm hearing people talk about things that they haven't even spoken to their family about. Mm -hmm. Because they, they need to be in a safe and trusted environment to have that disclosure. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's not so readily available. Yeah. I, I remember becoming, and it's, and it's happened, geez, it's, I've been on the Army for a while, but anytime I mention it, and when you're talking about people getting educated as far as understanding the military, for the last, geez, I don't know, I, I went in 1985, um, ever since then, and I would tell people, civilians, including my, you know, the family I grew up with, that I was in the Army, and the first thing they say, the very first thing they say is, have you killed people? I mean, that is, that is unbelievably yeah. rude. You know, and I'm kind of left, if I react to it the way I want to emotionally react to it, I'm a jerk, you know, which is, yeah. that's, that's unbelievably rude. Why would you say something though so stupid? You know, because there's many people who serve who don't, who have not been in combat. And right. um, I, I, get, I get that quite a bit, even, even at 52. Like I joined when I was 17, I think. So yeah, yeah. 17. Now at 52, I'm still getting it. I still get people yeah. asking that question. You know, I, I do wish people would go, through these courses to, you know, because we are a part of society right now, get to know us. Don't assume, you know, don't assume we're all a bunch of Rambos or anything. Right. I'm pretty fun, I think. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it goes beyond that, Chris. See, the thing is, is that what you were trained to do, right, is not where your service ends. Right. There's a kind of a unique DNA, I think, in people who are in the military and that is the serving something greater than yourself. Right. And so when you come out of the military, right, the, the culture that's around us, the civilian culture, may not quite understand. And that, you know, how many people did you kill, a question that may come up, is so highly insensitive. But it, it, it speaks to uh, a lack of literacy on the part of the general public about what military existence is really about.
Right. Right. And so what we're kind of trying to lay down as a premise is that there's a service element that military personnel need in their lives, even when they're not in service uh, in the military. When right. they come out of the military, they need to find that mission. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't a command level above you when you come out of the military. You yeah. have to find that command level within you. In other words, the mission, right? Yeah. Yeah. So unless we do that for veterans, what have we actually done? We've trained them in a very competent way to be mission ready, mm-hmm. to, to do uh, after action reports, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Have all of that great uh, training and all that. But now they're without a mission. Yeah. What, what, what are we doing? What yeah. a waste of opportunity. Yeah. And the military are in a perfect position to actually uh, lead uh, the world that they, they come back into. Right. But we haven't really figured out how to make that connection whole. Yeah. But that's, that's um, work that needs to be done. Right. And so in a way, that, that's what fuels me because I know that the military people I've met are not a shabby uh, troop of people. These yeah. are exactly the kind of people you want to lead the world. There's a, a fantastic quote. Um, I, I have to look it up. There's a fantastic quote that I, um, that I, I'm, I'm so glad I took a picture of. And it is from, here we go. Uh, it's from, I'm going to murder this because of my dyslexia. Um, Thucydides, I'll spell it out. Uh, T-H-U-C-Y-D-I-D-E-S. It's a philosopher, uh, circa uh, 460 to 400. This really nice quote, it's, um, the society that separates its scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting by fools. Yeah, I know the quote. Yeah. I know the quote. It's a really important quote. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's what's happening right now. Do you agree or? Absolutely. Because the thing is, is that, you see, we're, we're not really, um, we're disconnected with what is the actual purpose of the military. Mm-hmm. They're, they're protectors. Yeah. These mm-hmm. are people that are there to, um, to support, to protect, mm-hmm. to further a peaceful existence in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, avoid the danger before it comes. This is the, the whole purpose of the military. It's not there to, to destroy. It's there to maintain some, some level of peace in the world. Right. So if, if people are actually given the opportunity to find their full uh, authentic self, mm-hmm. right, then they're going to be of a contribution to society like we have not seen yet. But we yeah. do know that the military have uh, a very rich um, legacy when they come back. I remember one of the first jobs I had in the uh, graphic design industry was uh, was the manager was a, uh, an ex-military person. Mm-hmm. And he had all of that skill set to manage a group of people because that was how he was trained. Mm-hmm. He was able to repurpose what he, his training was about to a civilian population. So how did, how did, how did you go from being a graphic designer to being the uh, psych director in, in Brooklyn? Well, <laughs> it's a long story. Um, 
you know, I became a TM teacher in 1972. Mm-hmm. Oh, but wow. this, this was a long time ago. Right. So 1972, it was a very nascent uh, uh, occupation. It wasn't really uh, the structure that there is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for a while, I, I had started out in, uh, in art school. Uh, but the first art school I went to folded. And uh, it was an experimental art school. Mm-hmm. And then I went, well, after it folded, I became a TM teacher, but that wasn't necessarily something viable at the mm-hmm. time. So I got, uh, went back to art school and got trained as a graphic designer in the old school um, system without the um, digital technology. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I worked in that industry for a good part of my adult career and taught TM uh, avocationally. Uh, but then the call came out to uh, work full-time teaching TM. And about that time, uh, I was working uh, in an agency that had um, Philip Morris uh, Tobacco Company as one of their clients. And about that time, my older brother, uh, 42 years old, uh, died of lung cancer within oh. a six-month period of time after diagnosis. And this, this was a real existential um, uh, experience for me because, you know, it, it was very hard for me to see him pass away at 42 mm-hmm. of lung cancer. And I knew that uh, the, the client might be an assignment I might get. Mm-hmm. So I decided um, that I would make a, a shift in my career and instead of working as a graphic designer in the industry, I would take what I learned as a graphic designer and apply it in education. So I started working as a uh, artist in residence uh, or designer in residence, mm-hmm. training teachers to use the skills of graphic design, uh, design thinking in mm-hmm. the classroom. And I did that for about 10 years. And somewhere along the way, uh, I got recruited to teach TM full-time, and uh, that was a, a wonderful transition. And so that's how I come, come around to uh, teaching TM. Nice. It seems like you, you really love and are very passionate about TM. Um, I, yeah. What I wanted to uh, reiterate is that uh, TM, because people, I, I, we haven't mentioned this earlier, but TM is Transcendental Meditation. Yes. Um, and where was where this founded? Well, how, how long ago? How old is this uh, technique of meditation? Well, uh, the, the best uh, information we have is that it's a very ancient practice mm-hmm. that predates um, written language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's something of an oral tradition that goes back into the Vedic tradition in India. And it was something that was uh, exclusively taught uh, in uh, a private setting between a teacher and a student. And once a person learned the technique, they had uh, practice that they could do for themselves, by themselves, to transform their their life. Much like what you were taught, Mm -hmm. this is how TM has always traditionally been taught. So what happened is that over the centuries, the technique had been lost and revived. And the last person to revive the uh, practice was uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. So uh, Maharishi became very uh, pr- prominent uh, around the 60s when the Beatles were 
adherence to the practice of transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. And they were basically people to learn PM, and it became a worldwide phenomenon in, in, the, in the late 60s. And that's about mm-hmm. when I latched on to the practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just encouraged to hear about it and uh, went to, to a lecture and was very surprised that there were so many people interested in this program mm-hmm. and uh, went upon learning it for myself uh, when I was a high school student. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing it for about 50 years now. Wow. Wow. I mean, so I guess you and I have our uh, have to thank uh, the Beatles for our peace of mind. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, the Beatles were uh, real pioneers in terms of uh, cultural transformation in our society. I think they were a really good model for changing um, life as we know it in their own personal life. Mm-hmm. And it somehow crept into their music and uh, crept into our culture. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it, this, this has been an amazing uh, learning TM. And I think what I've been doing it now for two years. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's been unbelievable. I mean, there's been a trifecta of, of things to help me adjust and be a better human being. Um, yeah. One of them is definitely TM for sure. Uh, the other has been, I, I've been under the care of Dr. Mark Gordon for my traumatic brain injury. That's helped out tremendously. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, smoking marijuana has helped me with my anxiety. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm able to function and be healthy. And, and uh, thanks to TM and thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, no. But the, the one thing I noticed was that when I went back to work after COVID, um, and I work in the afternoons that I, I didn't do the afternoon um, meditations and I could see a huge change in me, a huge change. Um, and, t- and, trans- and TM is, uh, is, is to be done 20 minutes in the morning and then 20 minutes in the afternoon. Is right. that correct? Yeah. So, so, you know, what we're finding out mm-hmm. is that much like there are uh, influences of uh, circadian rhythms and the sun and the moon and everything that affects us in life, rest, you know, good uh, eating well. Uh, you, you don't have good nutritional health by eating good once in a while. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have good endurance and stamina by exercising once every blue moon. You know, it's mm-hmm. the regularity that the body and the mind want. So what we're, we're finding is that by taking this time out, that we're really creating a life-work balance mm-hmm. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that it's not just all about, you know, being productive and being, you know, on point in life. That if we take some time to do something other than work uh, uh, on the outside and do something to bring an experience on the inside of ourselves, right, mm-hmm. that's rich and deep, then when we come out of meditation, we have more to give. Yeah. You know, this is the, this is the whole premise. So... The, the culture may actually demand us to work like a machine and work all the time, but we have to be able to put a stop to that and decide when we need to rest, when we need to eat, when we need to take care of ourselves. So here's the problem. In the traumatic experiences that you've had, TBI and the stress and the strain that military existence and even before the military, your home life, you know, and, and the transition, all of that is, uh, I, I saw somebody walking down the street the other, uh, last summer with a t-shirt that said, I have too many tabs open. 
you know. So when we're living life that's that congested, we don't have the the regulation to take the break that we need. Right. So even though the work may demand that, if we take the 20 minutes and meditate in some place where we feel safe and anonymous, then we come back to work with more clarity, yeah. with more efficiency. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, I, I, it's a 40-minute um, ride to work. Yeah, so it's yeah. an hour and a half back and forth. Um, and to work, but pre-COVID, it wasn't as stressful. It was a nice ride. I can leave 40 minutes. Uh, right. There had been a, a car or two on, this, on the road that was, you know, at least driving the speed limit. But now it's, it's taking a lot longer to get to work. Traffic is slower. I have to go through the, over the river and through the woods to, to get to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the stress getting there is unbelievable because I want to get there on time. I, I, you know, I love showing up 10 minutes early, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that it started affecting my job, not meditating in the afternoon. So what I've been doing is I've been leaving home early, getting to work early, and doing my 20 minutes prior to going to work. And That's it has been remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been remarkable. It's been remarkable. It's, like, it's essential to do it twice a day, you know. Yeah. I think, I think uh, considering everything, you know, and of course, it's been like a lot of transformation culturally. Like a lot of people working from home, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are finding that their lives have been kind of topsy-turvy. So mm-hmm. it's very important to have something in your daily routine where you give yourself quiet time at will. Mm-hmm. So that morning meditation is a very important thing. And the fact that you're going to work early to do it is not an uncommon thing. Many people will go to work earlier to get the meditation in before everyone else comes in because that's their, their own, that's their me time, right? Yeah. That they have. And then in the afternoon, uh, the wisdom is if you take the time out and you go back to work, you'll finish up your work with more clarity, more efficiency. I'll give you one example. I taught a, uh, a therapist, TM, mm-hmm. who worked in a hospital system a few mm-hmm. years ago. And after he learned, he decided that he had this routine at the end of the day, he would uh, take time out to decipher his notes with his patients into a lock. Mm-hmm. So after he learned TM, he decided that he would meditate before he did his, uh, his log. And what he found was that he got through his notes quicker as mm-hmm. a result of meditating and left the workplace less fatigued. Wow. So I mean, yeah. Time, that time that he invested in giving himself quiet time had a return. It was more than worth the investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's amazing. I mean, I was doing I was doing zazen practice for a while. Uh, yeah. Are you familiar with zazen? Uh, I, you can tell me a little bit more about it. I think I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then I just say it's a forty minute practice. Uh, then you just you have to count one to ten, and if you uh, think about anything else, you have to go start over at one. I mean, some days I couldn't leave one. Some days I get to five, and once I got to ten, and I got so excited, and, ah, crap! I have to go back to one again. Um, I just kind of felt it was it was very stressful, um, and didn't really serve me well. But this technique, it's it's amazing. It's pre, it's it's like revolutionary. And, and now, why is it the made up word? How come you have to make up the word to focus on that? What what's the like my secret word? I haven't revealed to anybody. <laughs> um, 
but why is that so important that it's a secret word and and it's one made up word uh, part of the technique yeah. well here's the thing um <laughs> we're getting into the deeper area here but yeah. the thing is is that i just want to say that whatever it is that people are are doing that's in a in a meditative mode um i think it's all very well uh, intended because what we know is that there's a resource that lies within ourselves and we are trying to get to that. Mm -hmm. We're trying to tap into it. But here's the thing that we found that in, in neurophysiological research, what's been found is that there are different modes of uh, uh, meditation. And some forms of meditation uh, have to do with focused attention, um, like concentration practices, you know, things that you have to be vi very vigilant about, like mm -hmm. you said about the counting Mm -hmm. of numbers you know yeah. there are other practices that have to do with contemplation you know like following a narrative to put yourself in some better place but you see most of these practices other than tm are very heavily dependent on a cognitive imperative mm -hmm. there is something that you have to be cognitively mindful about or focused on and the uniqueness about transcendental meditation is that this is a non-cognitive way of bringing the mind to quieter levels of thinking mm -hmm. because the underlying premise behind the practice is that the mind already has hardwired a tendency to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so what, all we're really doing is setting up a condition where the mind is allowed to go to its own settled state. It would do that normally. But the reason why you're given instruction in transcendental meditation that's very unique to the individual is because there needs to be some um, training you're given initially by a trained teacher of transcendental meditation that gives you the right instruction so that you can self-actively initiate that process for yourself. Okay. So there is a, a thing called a mantra, and there's a little bit more explanation that needs to be presented about this, because the mantra that's used in this practice does not have meaning. Hmm. Meaning would keep the mind on a conscious thinking level. And what we're really doing is transcending the conscious thinking level to quieter and quieter levels of thinking. So the vehicle that you need for that is something that, unfortunately, you can't decide for yourself. Hmm. <laughs> it's important to have an objective uh, intermediary to give you that instruction. So when you come to learn this practice, this is why traditionally for ages, it's mm -hmm. always been done on a one-to-one -one level mm -hmm. because no two people learn at the same rate. Right. Right. So, so there, there is a big dis distinction between something that you work at and something that you settle into. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the, um, uh, the David Lynch Foundation, when yeah. was it formed? Uh, how was it formed? And people who don't know, David Lynch was a fantastic director. He directed Twin Peaks and a bunch of other amazing films, Blue Velvet, I think. Um, why? What, what was the foundation of it? What, what started? Well, the, the, the whole premise of the David Lynch Foundation was to promote uh, what, we, what we'll refer to as consciousness-based education and world peace. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial... Uh, starting of the David Lynch Foundation somewhat 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So this, this whole premise is something that 
um, is new to the world <laughs> because uh, who's out there actually promoting a technology uh, or, or a system of individual um, uh, peace? And the idea is that if we take care of the individual and many people are practicing this practice, it's going to have um, repercussions in the rest of society. Yeah. So why we're focused on uh, communities that are underserved is because this is actually the most important thing to reach. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so far, uh, the, the funding for all these programs has been through philanthropic uh, means. You know, people who are well-wishers of the foundation have been donating funds to be able to teach veterans, to be able to teach in school programs. There's some funding in school um, uh, systems that allow for this to happen. And of course, there's some funding from state uh, and city funding to bring programs to uh, underserved populations as well. But there needs to be more done in that direction. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, there's um, an initiative uh, right now, uh, Heal the Healers Now, which is uh, something that we're doing. We've got funding to teach frontline workers uh, through COVID-19 uh, transcendental meditation. Wow. So this is a national initiative that's going on in many parts of the country. And as, as, and when we can uh, meet the frontline workers in their workplace, we're prepared to teach them transcendental meditation. Uh, and also there's a, a phase three study with veterans through the VA throughout the country to, to do a kind of a summary uh, research that allows the uh, possibility of funding for every veteran in America to learn transcendental meditation. Wow. Wow. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's wow. How can, how can people be a part of this to help it grow more, to help it grow further? What can, what can people do? They can go to the David Lynch Foundation. It's on the web, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just look up David Lynch Foundation. There's actually places to donate uh, to the foundation, but there's also all of our initiatives are listed on that foundation website. Right? Yeah. Well, and what um, are you teaching online? What if somebody wanted to learn from some other part of the country, some other part of the world? Are you, is there a, a course online or? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, prior to COVID, there was a movement to try to do something of a digital uh, version, a community version for mm-hmm. people who had learned TM like yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we've been doing since uh, we've been having to be socially distanced is we've been having a regular group meditation on a daily basis, twice a day. Uh, and we're talking about thousands of people who dial into Zoom and meditate together. Nice. So this is something that's happening for people who have learned TM. But at the same time, COVID was actually an impetus to develop a digital version of the TM course. Now, it's always going to be taught one-on-one on the first day of instruction. Mm-hmm. But we now have the beginnings of an app-based instruction so that you will learn TM privately one-on-one at a TM center like you did, right? 
but the three days following, because it's a four-day course, hour and a half each day for four consecutive days, but these three following days are accessible through an app. So, you know, one learns on the first day and then the second, third, and fourth day are self-directed learning through an app. And then there's also follow-up with the teacher on Zoom. So this right. is a, a, a digital version of the TM course that's now being rolled out nationally. Wow. I kind of, when you, when you talk about the David Lynch Foundation and where it's going, the, the, the thing that pops in my head is the, is the song, uh, We Are the World. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, I kind of feel like uh, this, this, is, this is the ultimate project that's going to bring peace of mind to a lot of people. Um, but let's, let's get to know you. Um, yes. Where did you, uh, did, were you born in New York or did you grow up in New York? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, I was, uh, uh, grew up in uh, Sunnyside, uh, Queens. Okay. And then we moved out to Long Island. Uh, my family wanted better for, for myself. I'm a first generation Armenian. Mm-hmm. So my parents came from Iran. They immigrated here. And I was the first uh, of our, my siblings born here. And uh, so uh, I actually spoke Armenian before I spoke English. So oh, wow. Walked into a, a public school speaking fluent Armenian, not understanding why anyone wasn't answering me. Oh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it took a while. And I learned English uh-huh. uh, and I seemed to be able to speak in both languages. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, over the years, uh, basically, you know, went through public school and education. And this is where I actually first got exposed to transcendental meditation. I was in high school and a person, friend of mine, said to me, I should go and hear this, this talk around mm-hmm. 1968. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wouldn't tell me what it was about. But I went uh, miraculously on that day to the Felt Forum, Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, the founder of the program, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, was giving a talk to a full audience at the uh, Felt Forum. Mm-hmm. And I could only find some a few seats left at the last row of wow. the Felt Forum. And Maharishi looked like a speck on the stage. Mm-hmm. But I heard every word he said because the speakers were right over my head. This was on a Sunday afternoon in 1968. And the next day I was walking around the hall, uh, halls of my high school and all day long people were coming up to me and asking me, well, what happened to you over the weekend? Something happened to you. And remember, this is 1968. Mm-hmm. People are just starting to experiment with recreational drugs and, you know, all kinds of things are happening. My friends were convinced I got, I got high that weekend. <laughs> But that wasn't it. I just felt really buoyant because I got this message from a very sagely person that there was a way I could transform my life from myself inside out. Mm-hmm. And so shortly thereafter, I had to travel all the way into Manhattan to learn TM. And uh, I was very fortunate to be able to be taught somewhere around 1968. And uh, been meditating since. Nice, nice. And you said that your friend didn't tell you about the event. How come? Well, <laughs> in those days, you got a lot of what um, you know uh, suggestions to do things that were maybe uh, you know 
not the usual thing, right? So mm -hmm. I, I guess I was, um, you know, interested enough that I remembered the date of the talk and I managed to get on the train and go into the city and hear about this thing. I was, I guess, open-minded enough to, uh, to look into something, some new possibility. Mm. And this was a very important theme, I think, for my cultural upbringing, that uh, you, you didn't necessarily know everything in the world. <laughs> you mm. needed to be open-minded and, and explore new possibilities. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like the, it's, uh, I have a great admiration for people who just jump into the deep end and yeah. just want to find out, you know, what, what it's like and, because they truly want to transform their lives. And it's scary. It's scary. You know? Well, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not stuck in a rut, you, you generally find in life things coming to you that are uh, not predictable, right. you know? And so if you're open-minded enough to, uh, listen to your intuition, to follow some new trends and things like that, you mm. will grow from that. Yeah. You know, even if you don't know where you're going, sometimes it's, it's important to take a risk in a, in a new direction. Right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was when going back to, uh, so we have vet retreats uh, for veterans to help to learn. Is there a retreat for the spouses? Because they got to put up with us, you know, <laughs> As, yes, uh, yes. Guys, so. yeah, actually, the Boulder Crest Institute has a uh, very generous um, approach to family as well. They do have family retreats because they know it's, you're kind of linked to your spouse and to your children. So they do have some of those options available. But I think the most important thing is to make sure that transformation is happening for you. And, you know, because... If you take care of yourself, right, this is the most important foundation for how you are going to behave with your family. Mm -hmm. right? If you don't take care of yourself, well, you know, things may, may go south uh, uh, very easily. Right. So we do, we do have to have self-care. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we can do to take care of ourselves. Because if we don't take care of ourselves, well, who's going to step in and do that? Right. I know, I know a veteran that uh, that that lost a, um, a sibling recently, and he, uh, you know, he just pushes it aside. Like he he goes forward and he does his job and does his job. And I, I used to do that as well when when uh, you know, more in the life of a of a dear friend or a sibling, and I just kept pushing on, pushing on, and it always backfired on me, always. Like it, it would affect customer service. It would affect something else. And I think I'm doing the right thing, but somewhere along the line, uh, it's affecting me in a really tragic way. Um, I, is, there, is there also counseling for veterans as well and for wives that, that, that David Lynch offers or is it just? Well, you know, there, there's, uh, there's quite a bit of counseling available. And uh, I think right now, especially in during the pandemic, um, there's a lot of remote counseling that's available without a cost mm -hmm. because, you know, if people look into their, their insurance um, programs, they know that you can actually have online counseling if you need it without a fee. Mm -hmm. So th this is something that's very valuable, but I think we're not trying to replace what exists already in terms of mental health. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are going on 
that are good, right? What mm -hmm. we're saying yeah. is that there's something more we can do self-actively for ourselves that is going to be really the catalyst for utilizing all that's out there in terms of, of friends and family and support systems. Mm -hmm. And unless we take care of that uh, initial, you know, opening door <laughs> mm -hmm. for ourselves, how, yeah. how are we going to access that information? Because, you know, you can't, you know, that old expression, leading a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it, mm. right? Right. We, yeah. we, we have to be able to open the door for ourselves. So oftentimes people will come, they'll learn transcendental meditation, they'll go on to a retreat, and then now they'll have a practice that has now right. opened the possibilities for them to consider the gifts that are there. Mm -hmm. available for them right oftentimes you know we we might want to help somebody but if they're not ready for it what can we do right 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 very true and um so speaking of covid how's the situation been with you i know you you can you still live in long island and yet you, you commute to yeah. new york what what's that what's been covid like for you what's what's the beginning middle and, and and to the present well when covid struck it struck pretty heavily i mean we we all had everything suspended for a few months and we weren't going anywhere because it, there wasn't the protocol to go back into an office. Mm -hmm. right? So we pretty much converted a lot of what we're doing to a Zoom platform to support the people who have learned TM. So on a daily basis, we have a veterans meditation uh, opportunity every day at three o'clock, Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And a few colleagues and myself, we lead a, a group meditation, practicing transcendental meditation for veterans who have learned TM, who have taught. So you probably have gotten the notice about that. Yes, I'm thank sure. you very much, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've been doing that. And then now we're just sort of trying to figure out a way of getting back into a safe uh, environmental situation where we can train people. Even the VA has transformed a lot of its mental uh, help uh, to be uh, telehealth. So it's, it's something that we're working on trying to figure out how we'll actually reemerge in, mm -hmm. the, in the VA. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's taking some time, but I think uh, the way I've at least been able to look at it as giving me the opportunity to repurpose mm -hmm. my time, right? And I right. think this is not uncommon that people have had to be more reflective about why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing what they're doing, and, and to what end. You know, yeah. it's a very important thing that we've given the been given the opportunity to really repurpose what it is we're here for. Right. Right. And what do you think we're here for? Well, I I I personally think we're uh, just if I could take a page out of all the wonderful veterans I've met, uh, we're, we're here to serve. Mm. We're here to serve. And everyone has something that they can, can give to back to the world in their own unique way. And it's our mission, I would say, to find what that is. Mm. Because we can't um, be carbon copies of anyone else. You know, we, we have to be who we are. Right. And we have to give what we have to offer. We all have a gift to give to the world. But we just, it's important to find out what that is. 
because unless we're doing what we're in, with our purposes here, we're sort of disconnected, right? And we want to be connected. It's funny you should mention that because uh, years ago I read a book called The Gift, and uh, it's, it starts off with I don't know. Did you read it or? No, I've heard of it. I've yeah. heard of the book. Yeah. And uh, it starts off with a story about these islands. I think, again, I, it's been years since I read the book, and my memory is not what it used to be, um, that these three islands were, I think, near New Zealand, I think. Again, I'm not sure. And um, they're, they're, you know, within boat distance of each other, and they're, they all get along with each other. And what they do is they have this one particular gift they give to the island, and both the other islands honor that one island and give praise to it and say, thank you for what you've done. Then that gift goes to the next island and it just you know, continues cyclically yeah. for, forever. But if one of them were to hold on to it and say, it's mine, that's when the other two islands would come and just say, ah, we got to work something out here. You know? right. And I, I, I agree with you. I think the gift, you know, it's, it's like giving to others. It's not giving to the point where you want to be praised. It's giving because you can. Yeah. It's giving because you have something you can to make someone, uh, someone else's life better. Is that it? Do you still follow the spiritual teachings of, of giving or do you have a spiritual yeah, practice? There, there's, uh, it's, uh, the title of the book is uh, The Gift of Adversity. Right? Mm. So, you know, the question is things happen to us in our lives. And if we can see the um, value of it, if we can see the meaning of it, mm. right? This, this allows us to not be, um, you know, depressed by the experience, but allow the experience to be a vehicle for us to thrive, to, to do more, to give something back to society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that is an individual pursuit that everyone has. And the more we have settledness in our neurophysiology, the more we have quietness inside, the more we're able to kind of clearly see what that um, gift uh, means for us. And, and see the, or, or the gift of the adversity that we've been through. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think anyone goes through this world without some adversity right. befalling us. You know, right. We never know when it's going to be or what it was about, but if we can see the, the value of it or the gift of it, that's surely a way of having more gratitude about our existence and being able to provide something uh, to, to others. Because we're not, we're not living here all by ourselves. No. We, we live with other people. We have a, a world around us. And I like the story about the gift that you talked about because it just shows that, you know, we can't just be thinking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we do have to have a good, rich experience of ourselves. You know, self-actualization is very important to be able to give something to other people. Because if we're empty, what do we have to give? Right. If we're full, then we have something to give. Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's how, being a, being of character, of substance to yourself, so you can be, so you can serve others. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, um, and go, go ahead. Uh-huh. Um, so how how has the COVID affected your family? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I have a 21 year old who's in college, mm-hmm. and he got bumped out of school uh, prematurely because, uh, you know, when COVID struck, uh, most colleges closed down and everyone had to go home. 
So this is the last thing a 21 year old wanted to do is be at home with his parents. Mm. You know, he, he was uh, really dislocated from uh, his uh, culture uh, very abruptly. But he managed to, uh, to take the opportunity to do some really good work. I mean, I was very proud of my son mm. and what he was able to do being a homebody for a month. Mm-hmm. He was able to, to really be more productive. He actually found a job uh, during the COVID break and was an attendant at a drive-in nice. <laughs> that was set up for the uh, uh, Tribeca Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So he got a, a, because the Tribeca Film Festival was not going to be held indoors because of, the, of COVID. Sure. sure. So they staged it at a, at a parking lot uh, in, uh, in Long Beach. And uh, he was a parking attendant for that period of time. But he also was very productive. And now he's back in school. Mm-hmm. And also my, my wife is a, an artist and uh, uh, seamstress and uh, sews and knits and all that. She and my son got uh, a contract to, to uh, sew up ready-made gowns for the frontline workers. Mm. Oh. And so they, they had a little bit of an industry going here in the basement, <laughs> sewing up uh, gowns for, the, uh, uh, for New York City. New York City had, actually had contracts out to have people do this piecemeal work mm-hmm. so that they would have gowns. So that's what they were, they were doing. And of course, God bless our garden. We, that was a real respite for us to be able to go out and do some work in the garden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I rely on the state park as being my go-to place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had always been uh, going for walks in the park. Mm-hmm. And now I just had to do it with a little more social distance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've, we've managed well considering all. Yeah. What are you growing in the garden? Oh, tomatoes, uh, uh, basil, uh, whatever we can get into the ground that, that can produce something. Sometimes it doesn't produce something. We have a nice, wonderful fig tree, and, you know, we, we're really enjoying our garden. Yeah. Oh, I love figs. I love, love, love figs. I love them so much. I mean, it's, oh God, are you making jam out of them? or? Well, we, we got a real bumper crop, so we're, we're trying to give them out as much as we can to as many people as we can. Well, but we, we eat them all the time. Right. Uh, we'll send some upstate. I mean, I'd love to have them. I, I'm blending my mix and jam. But, yeah, yeah. Where, where, where exactly are you? I'm near Hudson. Yeah, oh, yeah, near Hudson. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. You know, it's like I'm not – I, I lived in New York City – you know, just for the experience and stuff. And I, I'm not a big fan. I hope never to go back. Um, oh. It just, it just, you know, hurts my head too much to hear the sirens and everything like that. So um, what's it been like? What's, what's been the change like for you coming like pre COVID and then COVID now what's all the pictures I'm seeing, like New York city is a ghost town. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you uh, after COVID uh, you could get anywhere within the metropolitan area. <laughs> <laughs> really quickly. Oh, wow. uh, but I have to say, uh, of late, um, it seems like traffic is now back on the road. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, a lot, lot of congestion on the road because I think people have like, tried to figure out how they can get to where they have to get to. And a lot of people are actually traveling around quite a bit, it seems. 
Mm-hmm. So New York is now back to not necessarily its full uh, congestion, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's getting to that point. But I remember right after in March and in April, you could get anywhere in the metropolitan area easily, uh, very quickly, without too much traffic at all. And yes. That was the, the experience. Um, but, you know, we haven't really been going out much, uh, eating out much. We have been, you know, cooking a lot more. Uh, we've been, you know, we shop and then we cook. <laughs> and it's, a, it's basically a pretty interesting routine. Uh-huh. Uh, and we're always wearing a mask when we're in public, uh-huh. you know, so we're, we're adhering to that. Do you feel like the vibe has changed in New York City? It's, it's not... It's not as, uh, I mean, I don't know. I thought some, most of the people that lived there, because I lived there, were pretty friendly. Um, yeah. Do you think the vibe has changed? Well, you know, I haven't really uh, walked the streets yet uh, to see too much, because <laughs> I, I pretty much don't have to go to work, because I can do everything from home for the most part right now. But I, I think the, the, the general feeling that I get is that people are trying to repurpose themselves as best as they can, you mm-hmm. know, and I think it's a good time. I mean, in a way, it was kind of a an interesting change culturally that we all had to, and it's not just New York, it's mm-hmm. the country, it's the world, has had to kind of look at and reflect on what is life really about? <laughs> what are the priorities, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it's scary. I think it's very, very scary. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, I see opportunity. You know, that's why I started this. It's like, I'd, I just see yeah. massive opportunity. Uh, do you think that New York will go back to being the way it was before? Or do you think that it's just, you know, pe- people who are just, because there's a ton of people moved out. There's a lot of people, you know, like including myself who have moved out. Do you, do you think it's gonna go back? Well, here, here's an interesting quote that kind of summarizes a lot of things about this. This is uh, Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love her. Absolutely love her. Yeah. So Brene says, uh, this is like very current too. Uh, We will not go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, um, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. Mm -hmm. We should not long to return, my friends. Mm -hmm. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all humanity and nature. Oh, wow. I've got a, I mean, I may as well let the cat cat out of the bag. I've got a huge crush on her. Yeah, she's just, she's just so for somebody who's an introvert and somebody who who constantly puts her heart out there and, and gets criticized for it. She still she still does it. She doesn't fold under the under the the weight of people's criticism she, and produces amazing quotes like that. Yeah, no, she's she's something else. Yeah. I'm, I'm I have a much admiration and respect for. Her. Um, but before we go, um, what what are the uh, what's the future going to be like for the, for the, like, what can we do to help move peace forward and make the David Lynch happen more? I, I know I said donate, but what, what can people look at and say, you know, I, I want to hook into this. Like I, I have a passion for the underground railroad 
which is um, helping to stop sex trafficking. What can, what, where do you see, like what, what's the next event that, that, that David Lynch wants to take on and tackle on? Well, you know, I, I think the, the important thing right now is to try to find some way of helping these uh, frontline heroes who, you know, we all know they've sacrificed so much and something about their lives that put them in the position to go there. I know my own uh, cardiologist volunteered uh, to go and be on the front line at the hospital to help COVID patients. Now, I think that's an extremely bold thing for someone to do, especially if they have children and they have a family. Mm-hmm. And what are they uh, exposing themselves to? So you have to ask yourself, how is it that a frontline worker will, will take that risk <laughs> mm-hmm. and go forward and do that kind of work and, and really, you know, possibly jeopardize their own family mm-hmm. to do that? So it it just points up that we shouldn't be timid about what it is that we're about. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is that we're about, we should be front and center about that and do that. And if we need support for that, well, there's a world of support within us for for sure. But and that's that's the first thing to do. Mm -hmm. The first thing to do is to take very good care of yourself. Make sure you're eating well, you're resting well, and it's not just sleep. We need deep rest for the mind. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so those, those qualities that we know are about uh, a, a wellness and a healthy lifestyle are very important things to prioritize so that we're not caught up in what was before pre- the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The life that we had before the pandemic wasn't a civilized culture. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah. not pretend it was civilized. It may mm-hmm. have been common, but it wasn't normal. Right. right. And so what, whatever it is that we can do is support that which is, and there's so many different groups that are out there that are trying to help people understand and uh, come with uh, a better educational background about uh, their lives, about their occupations, about their work. Look at what's happening in terms of the um, the whole movement for equity in our con- in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. right. And for um, uh, inclusion, right? And diversity. I mean, all of these things are now coming to front and and being addressed in a very uh, uh, you know very robust sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I take a lot of um, joy in seeing that happening. You know? mm-hmm. It's an important thing. And I think it had to be woken up. Right. I, so you, so I'm, I'm hearing is that you think, so you believe that all this has already been there, all this savagery, there's all this hatred, rage has all been there. The COVID just kind of said, you know, revealed and said, it's been here all along. Now you've yeah. got to deal with it, you know? Yeah, well, this this uh, this little friendly virus <laughs> has has opened up quite a, uh, 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 well, when you when you look at pandemic, there's an actual epidemic mm-hmm. that that the pandemic actually has revealed, and mm-hmm. the epidemic is basically not living our full potential. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I feel that there's a quote, it's like a dis-ease. Dis-ease yeah. makes disease. And I feel like I, I get really out of my, out of, out of balance when I'm not taking care of myself and I'm doing too much for somebody else. That's for sure. Harry, it's always great talking to you. I, you know, for the couple hours that you were my teacher, you were amazing. You made a huge impression on me and I can't thank you enough for doing this and helping to build uh, this podcast. And because my, my hope is as well to get people to, to be happy, to be healthy and, 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 and understand there's, there's a, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to continue to suffer. There's a way out. There's, there's, you can alleviate suffering. And um, I hope people will learn from this, call you up and get involved in Transcendental Meditation. And uh, more, more importantly, make a donation to the David Lynch Foundation. So yes. you are, you're definitely a walking example of your, of your first teacher. Yeah. And, um, so, so uh, you know, if I might, let me, let me just read you something, because I think this is like really important thing. Sure, for, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, years ago when I was a student at Pratt Institute, um, I was on, the, I think, one of the first uh, programming boards at the school that had t- students involved. And we were fortunate to bring Margaret Mead onto campus, uh-huh. the anthropologist. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a very beautiful uh, anecdotal story about uh, Margaret Mead. Very short one. Let me just read this to you. Uh, so years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead um, was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in a culture. Um, the student expected Mead to talk about fish hooks or clay pots or grinding stones, but no. Mead said that the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur, a thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. Uh, Mead explained uh, that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You cannot run from danger, get to the river for a drink or hunt for food. You are meat for prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for the bone to heal. A broken femur that has healed is evidence that someone has taken time to stay with the, with the one who fell, mm-hmm. has carried the person to safety and has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else through difficulty is where civilization starts, wow. Mead said. We are our best when we serve others. Wow. Be civilized. Wow. That's amazing. That really is amazing. And, and, you know, it just wakes me up to the fact that I don't think enough credit is given to women and how much they've contrib- contributed to the civilization of where we are. You know, yeah. Margaret Mead and Brene Brown and many other people. And, um, yeah, more, more attention needs to be paid to transformation that rather than information, I think. Because yeah, you, yeah. yeah, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're, if you're a jerk, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 All, 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 uh, all gratitude to Salome. Definitely. Very much so. Absolutely. Very yeah. good. Very good. Well, Harry, right. it was a pleasure. My best to you and your family. And um, hey, if you ever want to come up and visit, feel free. You've got plenty yeah. of room. I'll send you some links about Bouldercrest. And I have another quote I'll send you. As okay. Well. That sounds great. Okay. Take care, very Harry. Good. All right. Bye-bye. Let me know bye-bye. how this goes, right? Will do. I'll send, you, uh, I'll send you information. I'll let you know when it's up. Um, I'm very grateful for you doing this. I think this is a great 
great thing you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, spread the word. I, I really I really could use the help because all I want to do, just like you, is heal. I want to yeah, heal yeah. people because yeah. I, that, that gift that's been given to me, I want to give it back to other people. Yeah. So why do you call it the fool? Oh, because talking to me for five minutes, you find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm always, you always got to start from the beginning. You know, you always got to, yeah. every day is the beginning. Every, every day is new. So I'm kind of wandering into this life that I have no idea. I mean, I have no idea if I'm going to make it to work without getting an accident or something. Right, uh, right. You know, I just, I just believe I'm going to get to work, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm a fool because there's, there's so much I need to learn. There's so much yeah. that I, information I have that I want to share with people. When I meet interesting yeah. people like you, I just wanted to share yeah. that, you know, share you with the entire world as many people listen. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's humbling. Yeah. Uh, it's humbling. It's, I think uh, there's one for the other question I want to ask you is that your TBI, are you getting uh, some diagnosis or treatment for it? Absolutely. Three years now. I've been under the, under the care of Dr. Mark Gordon and uh, it's, it's been unbelievable. And the funny thing is it's, yeah. um, it's just lack of vitamins. Okay. It's not having all this, you know, pharmaceutical drugs or anything. It's lack of vitamins. Right. And yeah. I, I've been taking it and you, you, I notice, I notice if I don't take it in the morning, the person I am, I'm a completely right. different person. And it's yeah. simply vitamins. Yeah. 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 So, so the, the truth of the matter is, is that there's a pharmacy within. Yeah. Yep. And if we're, if we're settling down, we're giving ourselves rest at will, we're getting enough sleep. These are repair mechanisms that are being triggered. You know, yeah. every every cell in your body has a clock, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all timed together with the sun. So you know, just take heed in making sure you're giving yourself rest at will. Don't let anything stop you from doing that. And mm-hmm. if you can't travel, you shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. Look. You, we all have to look at our work and what is going to make sure that we're not, you know, destroying ourselves. Right. We have to be able to, to set some boundary about this because if we let everything else in and we don't have any more of ourselves, what do we have? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. I lived that way for a long time and I, and I always ended up broke emotionally, mentally, and financially. Yeah. yeah. So you always got to build the inside. So listen, I want to look forward to you coming up to Maine and coming for a week, right? All right, definitely. So, so I'm going to send you the link, make the application, and then you'll decide what week in which month coming up is good for you, all right? Mm-hmm. That sounds like a plan. All, all right. right. You take okay, care, my Chris. friend. I'll okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website, thefoolpodcast.com, and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.